and welcome to Come Towards Delight, the podcast. I'm your host, Mike Gregson. My mission is to find everyday people who are delightful. The people I interview have attractive energy and a positive outlook on life. And I want to give them a platform to share their stories so that others can have hope in the midst of their struggles and see delight in a world that at times can seem gloomy. I will uncover the life experiences of the guests that I interview, which have enabled them to look at life in such an inspiring and delightful way, with the belief that to understand the light, one has to be acquainted with the dark. My guests will share their personal experiences on finding their way through dark and hopeless times, and give us a glimpse into the powerful gifts they received in their darkest hours to rise up, take up hope, and view life through new, hope-filled eyes. Is it possible that in our darkest hours, we are given a gift to find the light which leads to our greatest delights? Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Come Towards the Light. I'm your host, Mike Gregson, and thank you for joining me today, another episode. I'm really excited for today's episode. I know I say that every time, but this time I, I, I mean it. I mean it every time, but it's fun. This episode's really fun for me because I have a, a dear friend and brother of mine um, who I just admire and look up to so much, but also what he does for a living, he kind of, he, he's going to have the ability to kind of talk about what it means to um, overcome some of the darkness, overcome some of the trials and hardships, maybe mentally and, and that we put ourselves through physically and in, in our family relationships that uh, um, maybe we haven't had on the show yet. And, and I, I'm really excited for that perspective. He, his name is Thurman Thomas. I call him Elder Thomas. Um, he, uh, when, when, when I served my mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Back in 2000 to 2002, you were one of my first leaders in the mission field. And I, I remember listening to you teach and just the poise that you had, but the humility. There was, there was a lot of strength in what you said, and I knew you knew what you were saying was true, but there was a lot of humility that it came from. And I always, I always looked up to that, and that's, that's kind of inspired me to really understand how you got that way and to try and be that way. And, and to me, my friend, you were one of the great ones. And I, I just appreciate your example. And, and uh, of course, we've been able to connect since. You live down in St. George, Utah. And I'll let you talk a little bit more about that. But um, grateful to have you here with me. Right now, currently, you are a marriage and family therapist down in, in St. George. And, and I know that you kind of had a different career path for quite a while after your mission, but then you decided, hey, look, I'm not doing what I really want to do and what I feel I should be doing. And so that'll be fun to kind of talk about as well. But Elder Thomas, talk to us, my friend. So tell us about yourself and, and kind of tell us, what, let's get started. Hey, I appreciate, I appreciate you having me on, on the, on the show today. And I'd say just kind of ditto, like, even though I was out there first, I feel like you were one of my leaders because, you know, you, you set a, you set a high bar, you worked hard, you had this positive energy and I really appreciated that. You were one that I looked up to a ton out there. Um, and the only thing that made the difference there that I was your leader on paper was I just got there sooner. So <laughs> well, <laughs> that's really I, all know, that I, had to do with. I never would have challenged you to a wrestling match either. Cause I heard, I heard you could break some bones there. So anyway, that's, uh, <laughs> that's another way I looked up to you as well. So yeah, I, I'd love to just kind of tell you my story real quick. Cause that sound okay. Yeah. yeah okay. please. 
So yeah, I, I was born in a small town in central Utah named Delta. Yeah, just, you know, four or 5,000 people. My dad was a pharmacist there. He owned Delta Drug. I have three older brothers. Uh, mom was stay-at-home mom. Super laid-back life, though, you know, just kind of farm life. Wake up, open the door. Mom says, be back by lunch, you know what I mean? And just really enjoy life and grow up in a, in a fun, fun environment. But about three weeks after I turned four, my father was uh, hit on his motorcycle by a car. And uh, later, later that week, he passed away from the injuries. Hmm. So obviously, that changed the whole dynamic of our family system. Now, all of a sudden, I've got this, this wonderful mom, all five, one of her, and she's got these four strapping boys from, from four to 13. And now she's got to like take care of us all by herself. And she's in this little town with very few opportunities. Luckily, she was like, she is like this incredibly optimistic, strong, powerful, go-getting person. So within about a year after that, after that accident, she moved us down to Southern Utah, St. George, Utah. She went back to school herself, got a degree in social work, started several businesses, taught us how to work, provided opportunities for us to work and learn and grow. Um, and it, and it was, you know, it, but it changed things, right? Because now instead of this kind of idyllic farm, farm boy life, I'm, I'm in this new city, I'm young. My mom's gone all the time. If she's not at work, she's at school. If she's not at school or work, she's taking care of some sporting event or activity for my brothers. So as I look back at my childhood, I, the, the word that comes to mind a lot is alone. I, I was able to go back to Delta every summer, spend time with my grandparents who gave me a tremendous amount of love and, and attention. And But I was I was a teenager when grandpa died too. So, so just this common theme of... Mm hey, really nobody's going to be there for you. So you got to kind of figure this out. And I'll talk maybe more about that later on as we, as we chat. But So that was a common theme. But nonetheless, I made great friends. I enjoyed life the best I could. I ended up graduating from Dixie High School here in St. George. <laughs> Did you have any family down there in St. George too or no? Was it just you guys when she moved down there? When we moved, it was just us. Yeah. Um, but then we did have family come down later. Like my, my grandparents came down when I was seven or eight uh, on my mom's side. And then I had an aunt and a couple aunts and uncles that came around. Uh, but, you know, honestly, we were so involved with our life and so busy and just kind of putting out, you know, the fires of life uh, in a single parent home that we, we didn't have a lot of connection with family. Uh, I ended up um, working after, after high school went to work, moved up north to run one of our, our company, our family company's uh, recycling plants in Linden, Utah. And then I had kind of this big, like spiritual awakening, this big conversion experience. I was raised as a member of, of the church, but I wasn't active because it just wasn't part of our schema. It just wasn't what we did. Uh, so, but then I had this cool experience when I'm out on my own, I'm this 19 year old young man and I'm, I'm on my own again and I, I'm comfortable there because that's what I'm used to, right? I got this, but I have this experience where, where Heavenly Father just says, Thurman, like you got to serve people. You got to go do this. You got to be a missionary. You got to spread, spread the truth about, about my love for, for my children. So 
I, I did the necessary things I needed to do to, to go serve a mission. Went to Indiana. Yeah. Loved it. Best mission mm-hmm. on earth. And you did a phenomenal job. I, I've got to pause you real quick because I'm curious. You said you didn't go to church. How, like, what was your feelings towards God at the moment that you had that experience that, where he said, hey, you need to go serve people? You know, it's, it's a good question. And, and, and I will say this. One of the things I'm most grateful for as I look back at my entire life is that even at a very young age, even without the gospel or the gospel message being loud in my house, I always knew there was a God in yeah. heaven who loved me. I always knew that. I hung on to that. And so I feel like I had a relationship with my Heavenly Father my whole life. I just didn't know like how that fit with religion and my, my duty and obligation to serve. And I, didn't, I didn't know how that all fit. So when he told me that, I was ready to go. I wasn't just ready. I was like on fire. Yeah. I wanted to change the whole world because I knew I had his, his, his guidance, his, his like, okay, go do this, man. Because the story I told myself up to that point was, I don't have anything to offer. Oh. Well, you started, you started by changing an entire state. And then now you get to work on the whole world. So we're getting there slowly, but surely. But now you, I mean, that's one of the things, um, Thurman, that to me always stood out about you is, is the passion that was in your voice and in your heart. It was there and it was strong. And that it's in, what's interesting is, is when somebody's passionate about something, no matter what it is, it could be any category, when they talk about it, the spirit confirms that truth because that person is in love with that and, and passionate about that. And, and that's one of the reasons I looked up to you is, is I, I knew you weren't just there because you needed, you had to be, you were there because you wanted to be, and you were there to really serve people and to help bless people's lives. So that's cool. Anyway, keep rocking. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. It's a great experience up to that point in my life, the best experience of my life to go and kind of like, uh, discover myself by losing myself for two years and serving people well said so then i come home and interesting little tidbit of info was three weeks before i left to go to indiana i met a beautiful young lady at dixie state college her name is maria church and uh, i knew the first time i saw her she was it she was the one but there was this little thing about me leaving for two years three (laughs) weeks later right but luckily yeah, great timing. Hey, you're supposed to be my wife, but I'm I'm yeah. out of here for two years. Hang on, yeah. please. <laughs> Don't date, please. Seriously. Yeah. yeah, and I knew that wasn't so. She did date. She had her life. She she experienced those two years on her in her own way. That's so true. I come home. She's still around, um, and just barely. She had a couple of proposals, I think. But uh, then I was kind of weird when I came home, like because I was. Oh. I was kind of stuck in that mission mindset. And so it took me a little bit to get my feet back under me with real life. And she was patient and we ended up getting married about six months after I got home. We, uh, we've had six children together, five girls and one boy. Awesome. Um, I jumped back into school. It didn't last very long because I just have this entrepreneurial spirit in me. And I had ideas and ambition, and I thought school's just going to slow me down. So let me get after it and go find a way to, to just make millions and change lives. And so I had several businesses that I started. I had a, a few different careers. I did real estate. I, 
was part of the big scrapbook paper boom back in the early 2000s. Um, I did medical transcribing billing at, at one point. I, so I did a lot of different things. Finally settled into this career in marketing and advertising. Started a business. Uh, we had distribution from Sacramento to Plymouth, Massachusetts, all across the nation. Uh, digital signage advertising, this huge company that I started and, and uh, was growing by leaps and bounds. And I'll tell you, it should have like been way more fulfilling on paper, right? Because we see this great thing happening. But at the end of the day, I'd go home. And at this point, we had four of our six kids. At the end of the day, I'd go home and I just kind of felt a little empty. I could check all the boxes, you know, finances, check, got a nice home. We've got spirituality, religion. We've got a family. I've got a loving wife. All those boxes were checked, but I still kind of felt this emptiness. And what it came down to was I just, I just really wasn't doing, I wasn't living my purpose on this earth. So I remember having a few conversations with my wife about that, like, why aren't we feeling? And she felt the same thing. Something's missing. And it wasn't the other two kids. They came, but, but it was this something missing about purpose. And through a lot of prayer and discussion, we just realized that, hey, you know, Remember when you were in high school and starting college, you knew you were going to be like this involved with psychology and therapy and helping people. We lost track of that along the way. Let's consider that again. So through a lot of prayer and discussion uh, with four kids, a mortgage and a huge business, I, I went back to school. That's interesting. So you actually thought when you were in high school about psychology mm -hmm. and that was kind of your passion coming home, right? It was. I remember talking about it as a missionary. People would say, what do you plan to do? I said, I, I want to be involved with psychology. So why do, you think, why do you think you went this other direction? Do you think that was, that was part of what you needed to do to really make sure that as you got started with psychology that you were ready to go? There, there's probably a lot of layers to that, to that question really to answer it appropriately. But I'd say to simplify it, it was that, A, there's outside influences that kind of got me second-guessing that purpose. Sure. And also maybe the demands of, like, you got to hurry and, like, make a bunch of money because you want to have a family. Yeah. And you were, from what I remember, you were really doing well in real estate. I, I did do really well in real estate. Yeah. And so, and so to be thriving in this, you know, in one business and then kind of be doing your own marketing thing on the side, you kind of transition. Interesting how like you had enough, right? I mean, the, the, the money's coming, the possessions are there, you're able to make enough money and yet you're still uncomfortable. You're still moving. You're still trying to find that thing, right? Mm -hmm. So, so what happened around that time that you and Maria kind of took a step back and said, Hey, you know, I'm just not feeling it. Like, like what happened to get you to that point where you were like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I want to do. Did you, did you have like another moment with God where he said, Hey Thurman, I need you to serve people. And this is what you need to do. Or is it just, is it just, it felt so uncomfortable for so long that it finally felt more uncomfortable than, you know, than whatever, like that it moved you in that direction. What can you kind of talk about that real quick? Yeah. So there was, there's a lot that went into that decision, uh, but I would say as far as, as God's uh, involvement with that is if you're not super familiar with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you might not know what a patriarchal blessing is, um, but I remember 
it's it's like a special prayer that's given to us and it's we consider it as personal revelation like god speaking to us individually and that happens when you're usually a teenager and i had had that before i went on my mission and one of the things that we were inspired to do my wife and i was get out your patriarchal blessing and read it again like and so as i did that it's like okay heavenly father's already told me what my purpose is. No wonder I'm not feeling fulfilled because I'm not lining up with that purpose. And part of my purpose was I had to discover, and I do this with, yeah, I had to do, I have to do this with my clients as well. I say, tell me what the most important values you have in life are. Uh, Stephen Covey put it this way. He said, begin with the end in mind. If you were to look back on your life at the end, what do you want to be remembered for? And it was that kind of experience that my wife and I went through saying, like, what's our mark on life? What, what do we want to be remembered for? And the patriarchal blessing helped with that. And lots of just communication. It was said, okay, like, this is what you got to do then. What can you do to help people? Because that was a big part of my purpose was, was to help others. Yeah, I was selling advertising. I'm selling homes. I'm doing these things that help people, but not in the way... I knew I was meant to. So that's really what the experience was like for us was just lining up my behaviors in life with those things that really mattered most to me. And that's different for everybody. Yeah, I love it. That's, that is really good. And I, I want to circle back to that. And I think we will, but keep going with your story. Sure. So, okay. So I'm four kids in my wife and I, um, I had uh, leadership callings and a, a big mortgage and a, a big business and all this stuff. And so I decided, okay, I'm going to go back to school. I enrolled at Dixie State, got a bachelor's degree, finished one up in psychology. And then we had to figure out the master's program, which could have meant moving. You know, I've got this all this stuff that complicates it. But the way was opened. I found a school called North Central University uh, that uh, specializes in mental health master's and doctorate degrees uh, it allowed me to stay in my own home and do everything online all of my professors were practicing uh, phd level marriage and family therapists so they they weren't educators they were practitioners who were teaching me how to do this well uh, we struggled through those four or five years in school wondering if the end would ever come <laughs> But eventually that degree came. I, I jumped through the hoops and learned what I needed to, graduated. We had two more kids in the process and uh, jumped in full bore to this profession of helping others with their mental health challenges as a therapist. What did you do with your business while you were doing all that? Did you sell it or did you try and maintain it? Yeah, I continued to run the business um, during that time and 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 so grateful for it because, right, it it suffered because I was distracted. Uh, I mean, I only had so much bandwidth, so it, it didn't do as well as it could have, uh, but it did enough to get us through. And yeah. eventually, eventually, once I was in the practice and I, I felt like it was okay, we went ahead and sold that business so I could devote all of my time to this new profession. Awesome. And, and now you've arrived. So, so tell, me, tell me where it started for you after you graduated. So I started uh, working in residential treatment for youth. Uh, these are these are facilities where young, you know, adolescents are are kind of shipped off by their family or their school or whatever to be in these these residential homes where they need to be rehabilitated or they need some mental health uh, help. So I spent about two years uh, helping young people in residential treatment 
who had pretty severe struggles. And during that second year, I started working at a private practice facility called the Center for Couples and Families, where I was then helping people just, you know, in the community who wanted to come in to get help with their marriage or, you know, managing their teens or, or dealing with depression, anxiety, that kind of stuff. I found that I have a real passion for that, like helping the family, helping marriages, helping youth. And then I started a few, my, I opened a few clinics myself, one in Cedar City, then Delta, Utah, now Hurricane, Utah, which is actually where we live now. Um, and we still have a clinic in St. George. We've opened in Kanab. We're looking at Mesquite. So we're just kind of expanding this, the, these, these private practice clinics. And I just absolutely love what I do. People come in. They need some help. I'm able to give them some tools to help themselves. And uh, it's just grown from there. So I love, love what I do now. So you, so you, you're practicing, but you've also got multiple practices, correct? Yeah. So I realized that one of my big values in life was this entrepreneurial spirit. I love to create and build things and expand. That gives me a lot of passion too. And so I've, I found a way to marry the two purposes, How help cool. people and still create and grow and build. So one of the ways I've done that is by just opening multiple clinics and still get to do the marketing stuff and train new therapists and all that good stuff as well. I, I think uh, that first question I asked you where I said, what do you think got away from you and why did you go down this career path after your mission? And then now you're transitioning back. It's like, that's lost time. But no, looking at that whole thing, it's like, no, you know what? You needed to learn some other skills so that you, you could not only start this thing, but grow this thing. That idea of finding your purpose or falling into a line with your purpose. If we're not there, we get really hard on ourselves and we're like, what is off? We feel so disjointed and disconnected and it gets dark for us what you just shared with us is one of the things we need to stop and we need to consider is that, Hey, look, maybe I'm not there yet. It doesn't mean that I can't get there. I, I need to work towards that. But right now I'm, I'm going through other experiences that will help me be better. I don't know how, but it will help me be better once I finally arrive at my fulfilling my purpose. And that you just like, I don't know, your story just kind of rings that loud and clear. I think. Yeah. Life itself is a university, right? Wherever we're at, we have opportunities to learn and grow, and, and those things kind of build on each other. So I'm super grateful for all those other businesses I did because they've made me way better at what I do now. So you, you, you did that well. Yeah. I love it. Thurman, you, you understand the idea of my podcast. It's to say, hey, look, knowing the university, the classroom of life, we're supposed to struggle. We're supposed to make mistakes. I mean, obviously, you and I have a, a Christian background. We believe in a Savior, Jesus Christ. And the plan that God created, the reason that it's perfect is it allows failure. It allows failure for us to make choices to when we arrive at those failures that we make. It's, it's not the end. We can stand up and we can try again. We can learn from those things. We can work. We can, we can understand that you know, it takes effort. It takes that using our will to say, this is what I want. And so I'm going to work to get there and, and it's going to be bumpy and it's going to be tough to get there. But, but that's the classroom of life. And it makes us, it refines us, if you will. So you're in a place where you're now working with people who, whether they're coming into you as, as a couple that is struggling or whether it's parents coming to you and saying, Hey, look, 
my child, like, I don't know what to do. And, and you get to kind of navigate like, Hey, this is, these are some things that you can help that child with, or as parents, maybe you need to make shifts as parents to do these things. You're kind of meeting people in their darkest moments, if you will. Um, I just, I kind of want to open the floor to share with us some of the things you've learned and, and, and maybe in that sense, maybe start with like a, a bird's eye view of like, Hey, what have you learned from people that come in that really are like in that position where they feel like they're lost? They're, they're a lost cause. They're a lost case. They want to give up and, and, and maybe they're more in despair instead of desperation. Despair is kind of like I'm thrown in the towel. I'm done. Like I, whatever you say to me, I don't want to hear it. Have you had those cases where they're, they're that they're, they're kind of in that despair range. And have you seen like, anybody transition out of that? What, what have you seen? Tell me, tell me about that, if you will. Sure. Uh, one of the good things about being in a private practice is that most of the people coming to me are there because they still have a little hope, right? They're, they're reaching out. They want to engage more fully in changing and growing. It's not always the case in residential. A lot of times those young people are there because they're forced to be there. And that's true with therapy, even with couples therapy, right? Wife wants to be there, husband doesn't. <laughs> Mom and dad see the teen struggling, and that's the last place the teen wants to be. But for the most part, people that come to me, they still have a desire, some little glimmer of hope that things could get better. They just aren't sure how. Uh, and so they come to me maybe a little lost and a okay. little hopeless, but they're still a little. So less hope, but not hopeless. If that makes sense. So they're coming to me with this kind of this, this, like you said, they've got some challenges, some turmoil in their life and they're coming broken um, and looking for help, looking for answers. And that's, that's really when I go to bed at the end of the day, the most fulfilling thing about what I do for a living is that I can look back and, and see people's lives actually change. Not because I did it, you know, it doesn't work that way. But because, you know, I was just there to guide them to help themselves and to find the tools and the strength within themselves uh, to kind of climb out of those challenges. And we all face them. If you're a human being on this earth, you're going to have times of deep, dark despair where you don't know what else to do, where else to go, how it's going to happen. And you feel like, yeah, I'm done. I'm throwing in the towel. Most of us are going to experience that in our lifetime. Um, and that's okay. That's one message I want to make loud and clear is that's normal. It's normal to feel that depression or that anxiety or those, those real heart struggles, that darkness. That's normal. It's part of the growth and plan of this, of this whole earth life. So seeing people transition out of that, it's just so amazing to see the strength that people have as they learn new things and adjust the way they view their world. Uh, super powerful. When a kid gets into their teenage years, we see a lot of times they lose alignment with like that purpose or who they are. They get lost, whether it's they start to feel shame for something that's happening in their own personal lives, the choice they're making, or they feel like they're not connecting with friends. They, they feel like an outcast, if you will, um, or they're struggling in school and they're just kind of feeling like a failure altogether, right? Maybe they've gone to drugs. Maybe they've gone to drinking. Maybe they've gone to hanging at behaviors that are just 
not good behaviors that are never going to build them, but be, they're just trying to, they, they use that as an outlet. How do you work with somebody who's there in, in a youth? Where would you start with that child? And then what would you say to the parents if you had a chance to meet with the parents? Yeah, it's a good question. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to circle back around to maybe what the most common theme that I see as a therapist is in that situation where we're dealing with this, this young, young adult, an adolescent who who feels all those things you just mentioned. It's very common, right? It's a tough time of life. You're like, you've got all these expectations on you, but you're still stuck at mom and dad's house. You realize that maybe they're a little bit hypocritical. You start to realize that as a teen, like mom and dad tell me like all these things I should do. But now I start to see that mom and dad maybe aren't so perfect. Why is dad no. always telling me to clean his room when his clothes are like on the floor? <laughs> right? Yeah. You're telling Mine me aren't. to make my bed? Dad, you've never made... <laughs> There's all these things like don't swear. Dad, like when you slammed your f- foot in the door the other day, like they start to catch on to that and they feel this pressure to still like be a kid and listen to what everything mom and dad says and also this pressure to go out and, and launch into life and become an adult. And so there, there's a lot of challenges built into that time of life. And they do, they come in really kind of hopeless and like, they're not good enough and they're a failure and, you know, he's, and, and we all handle those feelings and thoughts differently. Some numb through pornography, gaming, uh, any kind of addiction, drugs, alcohol, you name it, uh, vaping, you know, marijuana, all that stuff that's out there to numb those pains. Some fight, they get into trouble, they, they're aggressive, they're mean, they're causing problems. And some flight, they isolate from life. They lock themselves in their rooms and they, they stop interacting with other people and they shut down. That's normal. We all f- have our ways of dealing with those emotional crises. What I do with them is help them find out what those patterns are for them. Address the mental and emotional stories that they've created in their own mind that are leading to these, these, these deep, difficult emotions that's causing that fight, flight, or freeze, or numb, and then shift, shift the story in their brain that, that says you're a failure, like we got to shift that. If I'm telling myself I'm a failure, I'm going to feel terrible, right? We got to shift that story, and then we got to change the patterns of fight, flight, and freeze in their life and start to do things that are more adaptive, you know, coping skills, communication, exercise, Whatever it is that we can do to get them moving toward more balance, then, then that's, that's the direction we go. And it's a little different for everybody, but the processes are similar. Yeah. So, I, I mean, it's got to be hard with younger kids, too. And, and I think this is going to be valuable for parents listening. You talk about find the pattern. I, I love that. It, first, you have to kind of find that pattern. How, what's the behavior? When, when, when A happens, what follows, right? And then you said you've got to help them to shift and whether that's the, the state of mind, what they believe about that thing, or whether it's the behavior and how, why they fall into that behavior. Thurman, how do you, how do you help a child, an adolescent shift? Because from what I've seen, um, a lot of times those youth, when somebody, even if it's a licensed professional, and I talk from experience, right? I had to go when I was, younger in my teens, I had ADHD, I had depression, and I hated school. And when my parents took me to a counselor, you know, I filled out a form that said, 
you know, if you were an animal, what kind of animal would you be and why? And I remember sitting there as a 13 year old going, I don't want to answer this crap. Like what, how, what does this mean? But that was my personality. And, and, and I think sometimes teenagers can be that way. What do you do that they want to listen to you? Do you know what I mean? Like, cause if they listen to a counselor, like, well, what does this guy even know about me? Why am I sitting here having to listen? How do you get around that? Or how do you, how do you push through that? Great question. And, and I, it's the same thing as a parent. And I, and I teach the parents when they come in, like, I'm going to be with your child for one hour a week. Who are they with the rest of the week? They're with you. You're, you're, you're there. You're their therapist, right? You're there as their life coach to get them transitioned to adulthood successfully. That's your job, not mine. I'm just going to give you some skills and tools to use. So one of the things that we have to get back to that our culture has kind of really beat us up on is that when somebody comes to us in distress, let's say my child, my teen comes to me in distress, you know, somebody was rude to them at school, they, they failed a test, what, whatever it is, they come to me in distress. Now, as a parent, what we've taught, been taught to do culturally is dismiss the emotion as fast as we can. So we say things like, stop crying, it's really not that bad, it's fine, you're going to be okay. Really what we're saying is, stop being emotional. Don't be sad anymore. And then what do we do next? What do we do next? We try to fix it. We tell them what to do to change their situation. So we, we try to fix it, we problem solve. Well, there's a real issue with that because we've, we've dismissed the emotion me telling my child to calm down does not calm them down. Me telling my child to stop being sad does not eliminate that emotion. So the very first thing we need to do as a parent is just listen and let them process their emotion. Help them identify it. Sweetheart, what are you feeling? You seem, to, you seem upset. Are you sad? Yeah, dad, I'm super sad. I'm so sorry you're sad. Tell me what's going on. What happened? Right? Instead of saying, stop being sad, we just let them process that emotion, the experience they're in. Because here's the thing in the midbrain, I'm going to get a little geeky. Is that okay? Please, yes. Okay, get a little geeky. <laughs> that midbrain is in charge of two things it, it, it's controlling our emotional experience in life, and it's also in charge of our uh, physical survival. It's there to kind of keep us alerted potential threats in our life. When our children or ourselves, and we get in these really difficult emotional states, that midbrain is in charge. And it's saying, danger, really loud, something's wrong. But that part of our brain's not very smart either. So it doesn't know the difference between an F on a math test and a grizzly bear that's trying to chase me and eat me. It doesn't know the difference. <laughs> so that emotional response is also engaged by that midbrain. Mm -hmm. And when that midbrain is engaged, when it thinks you're in, th in some kind of a threat, whether that's relational or spiritual or physical or financial, whatever the threat may be, that part of our brain takes over and says, you need to either run, fight, or freeze. We don't problem solve when we're in that frame of mind. It's not possible. That's why it's really important for us to stop trying to fix the kid, but instead we're going to process the emotions. We're going to let them tell their story. We're going to help them understand what they're feeling. 
We're going to show them love and compassion. Just be there for them and let them know, hey, sweetheart, you have every right to be sad right now. That sounds like that was a really hard experience. Tell me what you're thinking about it and just let them talk it out and don't try to fix it. Because until that midbrain calms down and realizes there really isn't a threat because, hey, my dad's here and he's showing me love so I feel safe again, that's when they can start to problem solve. But it's not our job to solve their problems. We instead, instead, we say, hey, sweetheart, so tell me what you plan to do about this. Hmm. Instead of telling them what to do, because then they just feel lectured or they feel like they're stupid or we're patronizing or we don't believe in them. Instead, we let them, we enable them, not enable, wrong word, empower. We yeah. empower them to learn how to solve their own problems. And they can once the emotional stuff has been processed. When, when your child is going through stuff, and you say, hey, stop crying. Like, you don't, need to be, you don't need to be mad at that. You shouldn't be mad at that. That's okay. Stop crying. Move on. They then become afraid. They, they, they feel like being in that emotion, mad, sad, whiny, is bad. Mom and dad say this is bad. I can't be this. And so as they start to have those emotions, which are still going to come, we can't stop those from coming. We've then taught our child that's bad. And that brings a ton of shame. That's, oh man, that's a, that's really good stuff you just shared. And I, and I look back to like, you know, my, my um, experiences in those moments is when I felt those feelings, I turned to shame and my shame took me to places where I wanted to numb out. So I turned to drinking. I turned to, you know, finding it in the opposite sex or whatever. And it just, it never made anything better. And I never traced it back to this idea that when I was sad or I was mad, I, I, I felt bad being there because I, I'd been told that that's not a good place to be. You should never be angry. You should never be mad because we were not supposed to be. Are you kidding me? These are natural feelings that we feel. If you have a midbrain, which if you're <laughs> alive, you do, then you're going to feel hard, difficult emotions. And you nailed it. We've been taught as a culture that emotions, difficult emotions, mean one of a few things. I'm crazy. I'm weak. I'm gr or I'm ungrateful. And all of those things lead to a, a sense of shame. And when we try to process or deal with that shame, right, then, then we're going to make some bad choices. So as parents, we need to, we need to get better at, at taking a step back and helping them navigate their way through those things but to also embrace the feeling like what what does this mean you know you're angry okay like why like what what how why are you angry what got you there and and, and what needs to happen so that you don't need to stay in that emotion but it's not bad to be in that emotion let's just learn how to work through it right process it yeah let, let me just That's give good. you three three short steps to help with please this. make it simple yeah very first thing we want to do is, you know, ask enough questions, open-ended, you know, to just try to get our kids talking about it. So that's first. Just ask them some questions. What's going on? What are you feeling? What happened? Whatever question you need to ask to get them talking. Then the first, the next step is to respond back, like repeat back what you heard them say so that they know you're listening and that you understood it clearly. So you just kind of summarize what you heard him say to you. Oh, so you're telling me that today you had this math test 
you weren't aware of it. It was sprung on you last minute because you were out of town for tennis the last two days. And, and that was tough. So you failed. The t- you know, you're, you're just summarize back what you what you heard. And then the next step is to validate that experience for them. And that's pretty easy. It's, it's easy on paper. It's hard to do because our perspective doesn't usually match our teen's perspective. Validate means I'm acknowledging their perspective. So if they say they had a re- they're really angry at their teacher for springing this math test on them, maybe I'm thinking, well, that's your own fault. You should have been more prepared. But they're thinking this is totally unfair. Well, no wonder you're angry. You thought your your teacher sprung this on you last minute. No wonder you're angry. I can see why you're angry. That's validating language. I can see why you feel this way. The next step and the last and maybe most important is to just show them some love and empathy. I'm sorry you're hurting, sweetheart. I want you to know it's okay for you to feel this way. This is normal for you to feel angry right now. And I'm here for you. Let me just be here for you while you're feeling this. That's what's going to process that emotion and help that midbrain calm down and feel safe again. And then we can finally move to that step we always jump to first, which really belongs last, and that's to problem solve with them. So those are the steps. Uh, Ask some questions. Repeat back what we heard. Validate. Empathize. And then finally problem solve. I love it. I love it. I'm going to make sure I, I highlight that. I'm assuming we could talk about this same, these same steps in like a marriage, right? A, a marriage family, you know, you got two grown adults that are button heads and they're ready to get divorced and they come sit down with you and there's still a little glimmer of hope. These are probably the same things you're going to go through with them. Obviously talking through the details and the patterns they've created in their lives and how you can go back and reset, right? So I want to know more about you. Tell me why this is so important to you. Why development of people, what inside you looks at every individual that comes in and sits with you as not just a, Hey, this is going to, this is going to put money in my bank account. This is what I do. And so I want to get through this meeting and here we go. What causes you to stop, look at that person and find the love and the desire to really serve that person? What is that? That's a powerful question. Um, I think really what it comes back to, maybe I'll share just a minute about my own experience and how it led me to this, is that there was this always this belief deep inside of me that there was more to give, like there was more to me, more to this life. And, and, and really what that comes back to as I'm talking with my clients is this concept of identity. And that'll answer your question. Let me get there. Uh, you're probably wondering, where is he going with this? He's, he really is a psychologist. Uh, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so really it comes back to identity, Mike. It comes back to when we are in despair, when we are really at the depths of despair in life, I believe, and a lot of experience with thousands of clients has reaffirmed this belief, that it's because we've lost our identity or we've created an an identity that keeps us kind of down. Think about that for a second. Here's what identity is to simplify it. Fill in the blanks after the words I am. Whatever words you put after that, that's how you see yourself. 
And when we're in our despairing moments in life, we're in our darkest hours, the words that come after I am are usually pretty dark words. I am a failure. I am alone. I am unloved. I am not good enough. I am. And, it, it, and if that, see that, that personal labeling, that self-identity, if I'm saying those things about myself, if I see myself as those negative things, it's no wonder I'm feeling terrible and in the darkness. So I feel like it's my purpose to help people remember who they are. It isn't find yourself. It's like rediscover because we already are perfect. We already are infinitely powerful and so much potential and all these good things, right? The I am is already decided because we were created by a perfect God who doesn't make mistakes. I've heard you say that before. God doesn't make mistakes. So we already are perfect. We just have to rediscover that and shift the identity so that's my purpose is to help people like remember let's change the words after i am remember who you are that's why i use purpose a lot find your purpose who are you and i don't I, i've done this thousands of times with thousands of people all the distress i see come into my office comes back to this underlying belief that somehow we're not good enough and i just help them change that story that that's what i do I love it. That that man, I'm, I'm getting emotional here. That was powerful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Thurman, I think you and I need to schedule to do this like once every every quarter. You're gonna have to start charging me to get you on my show, the podcast, because you're gonna you have to unveil all your secrets and, and your and not secrets, but the things you've learned. And these are truths, right? First of all, thank you. Um, talk about being fed in such a short amount of time. Like this is back to the basics. These are, these are so important. These, these truths that you just shared with us are so important. We don't think about them often enough, and they're powerful. I mean, this is where it all begins, right? As a parent, I'm learning a ton just from talking to you today. Um, I, if people want to find you, because I want them to be able to find you, um, your website is ThurmanThomas.com, and Thurman is T-H-U-R-M-O-N, correct? That's right. Yep. That's the one I'm mistake I get wrong. a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So ThurmanThomas.com. And, and um, I'm telling you guys, I, I've known Thurman for a huge portion of my life. And, and if I was going to recommend anybody to see anybody who could help, I, I would send them to, I would send you guys to Thurman. And so if you're, a, if you're parents who are, are struggling in your relationship uh, with your spouse, or if your parents are struggling in your relationship with your child or whoever, and you need some help and you need to talk to somebody who can help you, uh, please reach out to Thurman. And, and also Thurman, you mentioned uh, before we started recording that you have a seminar that you're doing at the end of February. Can you tell us about that real quick? And then if people want to be a part of that, tell us how we find it. And, and there is a fee. So tell us about that as well, if you don't mind. Sure, I'd be happy to. Thanks. Uh, yeah, so remember this theme I keep bringing up, this live life with purpose, find your purpose. So I've decided to do a nationwide event. It's going to be a virtual event. And literally people from all over the nation or country, all over the world, whoever wants to come on can come on. A three-hour event to just kind of help people rediscover who they are, find their purpose, Eliminate some of the clutter from their brains that's that's led to these negative I am statements. 
and really thrive. It'll be a high energy event. We're going to have some incredible prizes, some great insights shared, some live interventions. And if they want to find out more about this three hour event, they just go to that site, thermanthomas.com, click on events. They can register for the event there. It's February 26th from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Mountain Time. So you have to adjust that based on where you're at in the, in the world. And anybody who comes and participates, right, they'll also have access to the recordings uh, of the event. And I'd love to have, I'd love to have your audience on there. In fact, uh, because you've, you've been so gracious in letting me come on and share a little bit about my story, um, if your listeners want to reach out and get a discount, just have them shoot you a message. I'll give you a discount code. They can get in for half price. How about that? Awesome. That's great. So that's February 26, 10 to 2 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. And it's going to be virtual, so anybody can attend from anywhere. Yeah, I just say if you're going to come, come prepared to bring the energy and to really make some changes in your life because it's going to be impactful. I love it. And, and I, I love to see where you're at right now in your life because if there's anybody that I would love to listen to talk about finding your purpose and fulfilling your purpose, it, it would be you because I've seen you in your life, you live up to the words that you say out of your mouth. And that's what makes you such a, a mentor in my life and someone that I look to is because you walk your, you walk your talk and, and you are an honest man in that regard. And, and I love it. So Thurman, thank you. I appreciate being here. I know you got to run. Is there any like last thing you want to say that you feel like you've left out? No, I, I feel like we've done a, we, this has been a great experience for me and I really appreciate the opportunity you know, it's people like you that are doing these kinds of podcasts and these outreaches that that really make a difference in, in this world. And I would say to all the listeners out there that are listening to this or will listen to it in the future, it's like, you have so much to give and go give it, you know, Thanks, be, be, be you, find who you are and, and just thrive. Thurman, thank you so much for being with us today, my friend. My pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to Come Towards the Light, the podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed today's show. I would love to hear your feedback. You can subscribe to this podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or any podcast platform you use. If you or someone you know has a delightful story to share that I need to talk to, please email me at come towards delight at gmail.com.